This is Arab Talk on KPOO 89.5 FM in San Francisco. This is Arab Talk with Jess and Jamal. I'm Jess Nam, And I'm Jamal Dejani. Jamal, we have a great show today. We're going to be speaking with uh, Diana Butu about the, the – uh, there's no other way to describe it but the death and politically motivated death of Nizar Benat, which is – is just devastating, uh, and we'll be able to get an update from Diana live on the ground in Palestine. And then afterwards, we're going to be talking a little bit about um, the continued and ongoing ethnic cleansing that's going on in Palestine, specifically in Jerusalem of Palestinians, despite what you're hearing from the Biden administration and uh, the visit by the Israeli uh, Prime Minister and President to the White House and all the things that Secretary Blinken are doing. The the reality on the ground in Palestine, Jamal, is that there continues to be a significant uh, daily push to remove Palestinians from Jerusalem. And then finally, the the American administration has failed to open up consular services for Palestinians to make it easier for them, for Palestinians to access consular services. So we, we, we have quite a bit to talk about today. You're absolutely right, uh, Jess. Diana Buto um, reports on what happened to activist Nizar Banat, which is really very devastating and depressing and what are the reasons behind it and what's happening with the Palestinian Authority, which is really uh, the title of our show, if the Palestinian Authority is, uh, is now targeting Palestinian descent. And uh, it seems that is the case. And of course, this comes at the same time when hundreds of Palestinian families in Jerusalem are facing an all-out war, I would say an all-out right. war, by the Israeli right. occupation, be it Silwan is the latest. It's not new, but it is the latest. Few weeks ago, we were talking about Sheikh Jarrah. This is still ongoing in Sheikh Jarrah, other neighborhoods, uh, and they're not apologetic about it. They're not doing it in 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 the early hours of the morning or in the in in the in the darkness of the night. They are doing it in full view of, of the international community, community. Which, which, which has embassies and consulates in Jerusalem, and of course the international uh, media, which is present on the ground. Uh, this uh, Israeli government does not care about international public opinion, and they just care about the public opinion of uh, the Israeli colonial settlers. Let's uh, watch and listen to Diana Buto. The death of Nizar Banat, a prominent uh, critic of the Palestinian Authority while in custody of the PA security forces last week, sent shockwave among Palestinians. For several days, thousands marched in Ramallah, Hebron, Bethlehem, and other cities in the West Bank demanding justice for Banat. The protests uh, were met with a security crackdown with Palestinian security forces attacking demonstrators, beating journalists, and deliberately targeting women and human rights workers. Joining us to discuss this and more, Diana Buto, a human rights lawyer and former spokesperson for the Palestine Liberation Organization. Welcome again to Arab Talk, Diana. Thank you, Jamal. It's always great to be with you. So to be honest, Diana, 
Uh, I did not think that we will be having this conversation talking about Palestinian on Palestinian violence at a time when hundreds of Palestinian families are facing ethnic cleansing in Silwan and Sheikh Jarrah and elsewhere. What went wrong and why was Nizar Banat targeted? Nizar Banat is not the first critic uh, to be targeted, and I don't think he's going to be the last critic to be targeted. And I don't think that these two incidents are separate, incidents being what's happening in Silwan and Sheikh Jarrah, the ethnic cleansing of both of these places, and what's happening in the West Bank with the PA security forces going after uh, people who are dissenting. And the reason that I don't think that they're separate is because the Palestinian Authority has reached the point where they see that any form of resistance, including resistance against the occupation, is also potentially a risk to them as well. And that's why during the the attack on Gaza and then the attacks that were happening in uh, in Jerusalem, including in, in Sheikh Jarrah uh, in the month of May, you saw that they weren't really met with a lot of huge response by the Palestinian Authority. It's not like they were saying to people, go out and express your protests as well. We saw protests in the, in uh, inside 48. We saw protests, obviously, in Gaza. We saw protests in other, in other places, in, including in East Jerusalem. But in the West Bank, it wasn't as loud as it perhaps could have been. And this is because the PA has reached the point now where they are recognizing that their interests and Israel's interests are intertwined. And that is the most dangerous thing. It's something that I and others have been warning about for quite some time. When we get to the point where we see that our, that, that the Palestinian Authority's future is, inter, is intertwined, it's intimately intertwined with the occupation, then obviously we're facing a major problem and that's where we're at right now. I mean, uh, I mean, I understand this and, 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 and you're absolutely right. You've spoken about this. Uh, however, I mean, uh, the West Bank, Jerusalem and elsewhere is full of media outlets and journalists. And they've been deliberately attacking media crews especially women. I was like, actually, I've heard it from different sources. Oh, I've seen it, yeah. witnessed it, uh, you know, with plainclothes officers, uh, you know, surrounding the press crews near uh, Ramallah, Clock Tower, and, 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 and different places. I mean, what message are they trying to send? Or, or, or do they have just like a total failure in optics or communications? Oh, Jemen, you know, this has been years in the making. And, uh, and so I want to step back a little bit and talk about how this has been years in the making. Look, for years now, people have been warning and saying that the Palestinian Authority has become an authoritarian rule. And, uh, and we see this because we see that Mahmoud Abbas controls the, the judicial system. He controls the courts. He controls the appointment of judges. He controls um, every aspect of the judicial system. We see that he has cracked down for a long period of time on NGOs, particularly those NGOs that have 
any form of dissent against him. We see that he's been cracking down on independent media. He's been the person who has authorized the shutting down of a number of different media outlets that's also blocked websites from being accessed because they're critical of him or they are in favor of Hamas. Um, So this has been for years in the making. This isn't just a sudden wake-up call on his on his part. This has been going on for quite some time. And the message that they are sending is do not protest against us. Do not do not cross these lines. Do not go against us. Because if you do, you will see exactly what's going to happen. When it came to the journalists who were being um, attacked, you were correct in saying that they that they were mostly uh, women. In fact, they were all women. And the reason that they were going after women is because for them, these were the easy targets. Uh, we have a high percentage of of journalists who are women. I think that they thought that they could very easily intimidate these journalists. They didn't realize that they're made of the same cloth as every other Palestinian is. And, uh, and so for them, they didn't expect that there was going to be such a backlash. They expected that there may be half a day, a small, you know, a small protest here, a small protest there, but they weren't expecting these the, the, the huge protests. And they've since, by the way, Jaman, they've since cracked down on people who've been attending these protests. And also we've heard reports of them arresting people for being part of these protests, in addition to, as you already know, confiscating the cameras of people, breaking the cameras of, of people, and so on. Well, they should know that this uh, did not work uh, well for Israel and it's not going to work well for them. Uh, The world is watching and it's really embarrassing again that this is what I'm saying to actually see that Palestinians are getting attacked by Palestinian security forces. The same security forces when Israeli occupation forces infiltrate into Ramallah, into Bethlehem, etc. to arrest Palestinians, they withdraw into their police stations and barracks. Correct. You know, Jaman, more money is spent on security than on health and education combined. This is within the Palestinian Authority budget. So if you're looking, it's the single largest line item on, on the budget. And, uh, and it's the only item on the budget that never gets cut, even when you see that the United States is cutting funds, etc. It's the only budget line that never gets cut. Uh, it's the only... It's the only center, it's the only institution that continues to receive funding. And the reason is, is that for quite some time, the donors have had the vision that the Palestinian Authority's job is to make sure that Palestinians are suppressed and continually oppressed. And uh, and this is why they're willing to fund the money. They put it into things called um, justice sector or rule of law. But at the end of the day, we know that this money is going, more money is going into security than health and education combined. It's the whole point of it is to make sure that the occupation continues without protest. And also bear in mind that when these settlers and these soldiers are attacking Palestinians under the Oslo agreements, these same people that are being funded by the Europeans don't even have the legal right to be able to arrest any of these settlers. They have no ability to do anything to stop the soldiers. And so in effect, they've also opened the doors to allow the Israelis to come in, to arrest, to kill, to steal, to do whatever it is that they want, while the Europeans and the Americans and others continue to pay for it.
Well, interesting, you mentioned uh, donor countries. Uh, not too many people know that uh, <clears throat> Zahar Bannat was a candidate in the uh, cancelled PA parliamentary <clears throat> elections. And yes. uh, I guess he was a candidate uh, on the independent freedom and dignity electoral uh, list. And that he appealed to the, uh, to the members in the EU and the EU courts, uh, including the court of the human rights in Strasbourg uh, to order uh, an immediate cessation of financial aid to the Palestinian Authority. Do you think that this was a, the main reason that kind of led to his death? I'm certain it was a reason that led to his death. When it comes to the Palestinian Authority, you have to be Fatah and only Fatah, and he was Fatah, but you have to be a brand of Fatah. And if, if you're not that brand of Fatah, meaning Mahmoud Abbas's brand of Fatah, then you're considered to be outside and considered to be a potential traitor. You know, we've seen this now, Jaman, for, for quite some time. Um, I recall many years ago when I and others were talking about the PA needing to dismantle itself, some people calling for reform, that all of these people were labeled as carrying, as they put it, foreign agendas, or as being uh, people who were representing uh, another country, namely Israel. When in reality, what's happening is that it's now the Palestinian Authority that is doing Israel's bidding. It's not those of us who are calling for the PA's dismantlement or those calling for PA reform that are doing Israel's bidding. We've gotten to a point now, Jamal, where this Palestinian Authority, which was supposed to only be in place for five years, it's now been in place for, for close to 30 years that we're seeing that uh, it's transformed itself completely into being an author authoritarian rule system with no prospects whatsoever of ever having independence or having uh, uh, freedom or rights or any of that sort of thing. It's ruled by one person for one person. How long do you think this is going to continue? Do you think Palestinians are going to tolerate this abuse? And um, are they scared uh, to, uh, you know, challenge the reign of the Palestinian Authority? There was an article by Joseph Mas'ad saying that uh, the Palestinian Authority's days are numbered. Do you agree with this? I'm not so sure. Um, and the reason I'm not so sure is because the Palestinian Authority is going to continue to remain for as long as the donors continue to maintain it. And the donors will continue to maintain it for as long as they see that this Palestinian Authority is representing Israel's interests. It's, it's really, unfortunately, that simple. The, the international donor community has long ago been questioning whether they are building, as they put it, a Palestinian state or whether they are simply financing the occupation. And I think many of them are realizing that they are financing the occupation. And many of them are not only just realizing that they're financing the occupation, they realize that there really is no other plan that they have out there. Um, there you, you know, Jamal, what's been interesting is we haven't had a legislative council in place since 2007. And, uh, and yet, even though we haven't had a legislative council in place since 2007, the donors continue to fund the Palestinian Legislative Council as though it exists. They continue to support these 
as they put it, rule of law uh, projects, even though there is no rule of law. And the reason that they continue to do this is because they see that there is a utility to the Palestinian Authority. And that utility is that it keeps the West Bank quiet. And it has continued to keep the West Bank quiet for all of these decades. So the real push is going to have to come from Palestinians, not only pushing back against the Palestinian Authority, but really demanding that there be some accountability for, uh, for the money that goes to the Palestinian Authority. And instead that that money could go to sustaining Palestinian resistance and lives and a whole, a whole host of things. Um, and so my fear is that given where we are today and given how much of a stronghold Mahmoud Abbas has over the lives of Palestinians and the lives of the Palestinian and the, the Palestinian economy, and you name it, um, the Palestinian Authority can be sustained for as long as the donors continue to sustain it. Well, I mean, people don't live forever, right? Uh, does Mahmoud Abbas have a uh, succession plan or, or are we going to see chaos and, and possibly a civil war? I don't think we're going to see chaos and civil war, but who knows, right? Um, but he also doesn't have a succession plan. There's always talk of successors, but there is really no succession plan. This is one of the problems, Jamal. I, I remember when when uh, Arafat died um, and the years before Arafat died, one of the questions that I was continually asked was, what's going to happen when he dies? And the answer was simple, and it's the one that actually took place. I said at the time, uh, when he dies, the head of the Palestinian Legislative Council will take over for the prescribed period. We will have elections. And then after elections, we'll have a new president. The difference, and that was with Abu Ammar. With this, with this uh, current uh, president, with Mahmoud Abbas, we don't even know what the system is. I can't say that the Speaker of the House is going to take over for a prescribed period of time because we don't have a Speaker of the House. We don't have... Uh, elections that are going to take shape or take place because he's always going to be the person who's going to be putting his name forward. And if he's dead, then it's not entirely clear how there are even going to be elections, who's going to put their name forward, etc. Even within the PLO, he's managed to either get rid of or they've died, the people who are within that, that chain of command in terms of succession. And so what he's done is he's put a number of different people around him where people can guess or predict who is going to be the next person in line. But I don't care about the next person. I care about the plan. I care about whether there's a system. And he's done everything in his power to destroy the system so that he's made himself absolutely indispensable. The fact that we are now with a, a president in place who was elected for four years and has now entered into his uh, 15th year of a four-year term, it just shows you how, um, how flawed the system is. And he's made it out that, that he's the only person who can, who can run it and can run it effectively. You know, Jermaine, one of the things that's been most frustrating is when when Palestinians have risen up, when we've been trying to shake off this occupation uh, through the various intifadas, that instead of him 
lending his support. He's been the person who has pushed us back, whether it was the intifada of, um, that happened in Jerusalem a few years ago, or whether it was this latest intifada. He always takes credit for things happening and yet has done absolutely nothing to push things along to make sure that we are able to push back and that, the, that we are able to live in dignity. Shifting gears uh, here, Israel has started to ethnically cleanse Al-Bustan area in Silwan uh, in East Jerusalem. Uh, we saw yesterday Israeli forces accompanied by bulldozers entering uh, the Palestinian neighborhood, starting by destroying a butcher's shop in Silwan. Soldiers used tear gas and batons to push back residents and Palestinian, and Palestinian activists. Uh, as they carried uh, out their uh, demolition. Israel seems to declare an all-out war on uh, Palestinian residents uh, in Jerusalem without fear of international condemnation or anything to stop them. I mean, I mean, is this the case? Yes, this is exactly where we're at, Jaman. Most unfortunately, there is no um, inter- there has there is no international community. There never has been when it comes to Jerusalem. They've, they've rarely uh, uttered a, a statement. Um, when it comes to the Palestinian Authority, they've done nothing. When it comes to the political factions, also have done nothing. It's as though we've the everybody has left Silwan and Sheikh Jarrah and other areas as well in Jerusalem to simply be taken over by Israeli settlers without any pushback, without any resistance, and again, without any plan. These, we've seen this in the making now since 1990, Silwan has been part of an ethnic cleansing process, since 1990. And you would think that now at this stage in the game, 31 years later, that they would have at the very least had a plan as to how it is that they're going to push back against this ethnic cleansing. And instead it's just these families left to themselves, um, the occasional lawyer that comes in and, and tries to help, but the communities are left with absolutely nothing, no political representation, just some you know, basic legal representation and no political activism. I mean, I watched also uh, on the Israeli Channel 10, uh, I believe, uh, today, uh, settlers celebrating because uh, they've reached a compromise uh, with the government, with Bennett's government, on <clears throat> an unauthorized, that's how they label it, outpost in the, in the occupied uh, West Bank. Correct. And under the agreement, the settlers will leave uh, by the end of the week, but the area will be declared a closed military zone. I mean, this is kind of like a keyword for land grab, right? It's just like when the government and, uh, you know, it's just like normal and, and they're happy. The government is, is happy in, in full sight of, of, of the international community. And, and the, so the settlers have, of course, people behind them and advocacy, whether financially and not. And this is exactly what you're talking about. Palestinians have no one, have no one. They can't go to the Israeli government for help. They cannot go to the Palestinian Authority for help. They don't have financial backing. It's just a few people who gather in the streets and try with their buddies to stop these bulldozers from destroying their homes. Correct. And what they're doing, this deal that they've talked about is the equivalent of calling it six or half a dozen. 
Um, it's, uh, it's either way the settlers are getting whatever it is they wanted. They wanted to be able to, to, be, to build this settlement. And by declaring it a military zone as they're declaring it, you'll see that it is going to be turned into a settlement and it's going to be turned into a settlement very quickly. The other part of this deal is that none of the buildings, these are caravans, none of the the caravans are going to be demolished or taken down, which is very unlike what happens in the case of uh, Palestinian homes. And I'm sure you know this, Jamad, that when a Palestinian puts up even a tent, even a simple tent um, with you know, the four stakes that you would put up for a tent, that that tent comes down, not only comes down, but gets confiscated within a very short period of time. But here we have these caravans on land that isn't theirs, and the tents are put up on land that is ours, um, put up on land that isn't theirs, and the caravans are not going to be taken down. And instead, as I said, it's the difference of calling it six or half a dozen. Um, very quickly, it's going to be turned into an Israeli settlement. And going bringing it back to the, to the Palestinian Authority, the Palestinian Authority spends much of its time traveling around the world collecting money for what? for these very security forces that I was talking about. They're not collecting money to be able to push back against the occupation or to resist the occupation. They're collecting money that's going to ease up on the, the burden, Israel's burden of maintaining the occupation. And they collect money to maintain a system that also supports the occupation. This is the, this is the, the, the situation that we're in now, Jaman, is that we have a Palestinian authority that is running effectively running the occupation or, or doing part of the running of the occupation and traveling around the world to collect money to do so. What if this uh, source of money runs out? What will happen? That's a good question. And I'm not sure I have the answer. And I don't think anybody has the answer because it so far has never been even a question that's been proposed. Um, instead, we just see that more and more money comes to the Palestinian Authority. Yes, it comes with a lot more conditionality, but it's still coming through. I'll give you an example. When, when With the killing of Nizar Banat, many of the Europeans came forward and said, look, our money doesn't go to fund any of these security forces. Our money is instead going to fund the Palestinian Authority's police force, not the security forces. And again, this is like splitting hairs, right? You're, you're splitting hairs to say, yes, we're only funding this one body, but we're not funding the other body. When we know that these individuals are interchangeable, we know that the money is, is flowing very freely between, between the, the different segments and so on. And again, it's this idea that somehow they're splitting hairs. Well, if it's not you who's funding it, then who exactly is funding these Palestinian Authority security forces? And why is so much money gone into uh, Palestinian Authority security training and so on? Well, obviously, they want to maintain the status quo, and uh, which is very sad. I've been reading on uh, social media, and this is very troubling, actually, uh, accusations flying around about what's going on, uh, meaning what's what happened as far as demonstrations after the death of uh, Nizar Banat, that uh, uh, they're accusing uh, Palestinians in diaspora 
being behind it, which is very troubling. This is like people who live in the United States, in Canada, in Europe, and those diaspora, historically, uh, the diaspora is the force behind helping their brethren and sisters in Palestine. And now, I wanna, I don't want to say members of Fatah or, or people who support the authority are saying, look, there's nothing going on here. It's those people in the diaspora are, are stirring all that trouble. Correct. This is what they say all the time, Jamal. This is what I mean by when they say foreign agendas, right? Agenda ajnabi. This is always what they've claimed. Whenever there is dissent, they always claim that those of us who are expressing dissent are carrying foreign agendas. They they cannot recognize that there is there is homegrown dissent, dissent against their rule, dissent against the against Fatah, and dissent against the fact that they've continued to aid this occupation. They can't seem to accept that. And instead, everybody else gets labeled a traitor. Um, We saw this even when it came to the Hamas-Fatah split. If you're not Fatah and you are a person who supports Hamas, then suddenly you're also carrying a foreign agenda. You are a traitor to the cause. This is the problem with the Palestinian Authority. They view it simply through the lens of whether you are supporting Mahmoud Abbas or not supporting him. If you're in any way critical, then they will um, smear your name. They'll claim that you are carrying foreign agendas. Uh, they will threaten you and so on. You know, here's just a personal thing with me, and I'm really nobody. Many A few years ago, I wrote an, an article um, that called for the Palestinian Authority to be closed down. And the reason I said that the Palestinian Authority should be closed down is because I and others predicted exactly what was going to happen. We didn't know exactly when, we didn't know with exactly whom, but we saw the trajectories, we saw what was happening, that more money is being spent, double the amount of money that is is being spent on, um, on security than on health and on education. We saw that of all of the laws that are being passed by the Palestinian Authority, that there were double the number of laws that were passed from the period of 2006 to 2016 than there were from 1996 to 2006. And that double the number was all being done by presidential decree. Most of them were for financial matters that benefited the Palestinian Authority. And after I wrote this article, uh, a number of different things happened to me. The first thing that happened was that I started to get death threats. And again, I'm a person who's privileged and I'm nobody in the scheme of things, but I I did work for them. I started to get death threats. I I also had my car vandalized many times by them. I was told very very clearly that I was a person who was carrying both a foreign agenda and an Israeli agenda because of the fact that I happened to be um, a a citizen of, of 48. And this is, again, this is me. This is somebody who is not huge in the grand scheme of things, but this was the, the pattern that we that I and others have, have had to endure simply for stating the obvious, which is that the Palestinian Authority has become part of the problem and needs to go away. Diana Buto, thank you for your insights. Thank you, Jamal. Well, that's the voice and the face of Diana Butu, uh, internationally recognized uh, human rights advocate and basically political commentator on Palestine and things in the region. And 
I have to say, uh, Jamal, Diana continues to give among the most uh, incisive analyses of what's happening in Palestine, the tragic death of Nizar Benat. But she's also giving us some insight into what's happening to the Palestinian Authority. And frankly, Jamal, it's not looking good in terms of what the Palestinian Authority has been and what it's turning into. Absolutely. And the the biggest thing is now is the fact that the international donors, whether it's the EU or, or right. the Americans or other countries, they are just happy and satisfied to keep writing checks to the Palestinian Authority to maintain the status quo, which is really protecting the Israeli settlers and 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 avoiding any uprisings like what we've seen on the ground intifadas and 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 so forth they're not there to protect palestinian lives and and one of the main reasons uh, uh, in addition to to others why nizar banat was uh, murdered is the fact that he basically was calling on international donors not to send money that's right and so more and more information and videos now keep coming out, uh, not just like, you know, the usual uh, criticism about corruption and so forth, but he, because he himself, remember, he was running in these parliamentary elections. He was That's a candidate, right. uh, an right. independent party. And then uh, Mahmoud Abbas canceled these elections. So he wasn't just like a Palestinian activist. He, he was uh, probably was going to be a politician. Exactly, Jamal. And we have to face uh, the really difficult reality. And, and, you know, you and I and on Arab Talk, we are an equal opportunity critic where criticism should be directed. And we have to face the really difficult and, and uh you know, painful realization that the current version of the Palestinian Authority is thuggish in its attempt to silence dissent and maintain their power, maintain their status quo. But you said something, and this is true of uh, what Nizar uh, said and Diana said, which is, you know, the international community now is complicit with the thuggishness, not just of the Israeli occupation government, but also with the, the, the elements of the Palestinian Authority, which are crushing dissent among Palestinians in the West Bank and in Gaza, um, crushing dissent. And, you know, Palestinians, like everybody else in the world, want democratic representation among, among, in their governments. So this is, the ask is not big, but the international community has let down the Palestinians yet again. Well, just the fact that we keep talking about the Palestinian Authority, the word authority, because remember Oslo, which created the Palestinian Authority. That's right. Palestinian Authority was supposed to last five years. And then well, after that, yeah. there'll be a state. Now, we, we don't see that there is no state of Palestine internationally speaking and recognized by the United States and the EU. There are many countries that uh, recognize Palestine as a state. But again, even if they recognize it as a state, we're not talking about the contiguous state. We are not talking about a state that is in charge and in control of its own borders by air, sea, and land. Right. Anything uh, that the members of the Palestinian Authority, including the President Mahmoud Abbas, including the, pro uh, the Prime Minister Shtaye, 
including all the ministers, they have to receive a special VIP car from Israel to travel outside the West Bank, be it to Jordan or anywhere else. That's right. So, so we are talking about 30 years, 30 years after, just since uh, Oslo, pretty much so. And you have that status quo. You don't have an independent Palestinian state. You have an authority. You have a president since the death of uh, uh, Yasser Arafat. He has not moved. He's been, he, he, he was elected only once. And he's now on his fifth term. And and we well, don't have an improvement. We don't see an improvement no, on the ground. But actually, Jamal, it's gotten worse. And we ha- you say he's in his fifth term, but I, I, I don't know if I would use that language exactly because you say fifth term, but how many elections have there been in those 30 years? It's not as if he has been reelected each of those times. No, but it, nevertheless, it's a fifth term. Uh, elections keep getting canceled and postponed. Right. We don't want to keep rehashing. We know what happened when there were elections and then Hamas won. And to the disliking of Israel and the United States and others. And that's how we came about to have this current makeup. Now, whether you agree or disagree with Hamas, that's a whole different story. But the fact of the matter, they won the last kind of internationally monitored elections. That's right. You know and where you had where you had uh, former President Carter and his group monitoring these elections and certifying them. But then you know, I mean, that's the game that the United States that lectures the world about democracy when they are not happy with the outcome. You know. Yeah, and the United States they is reverse the, same, the outcome, <laughs> right? And the, it's the same country where you know, crying out for democracy, yet at the same time we have domestic terrorists in this country who can breach the U.S. Capitol in Washington, D.C. And um, the biggest threat to U.S. democracy is homegrown terrorism. And yet they want to lecture the rest of the world about democracy and what's happening and and kind of direct it. You know, Jamal, I think that um, if you look at the whole picture based on what, what we've been talking about, what Diana just said and what's happening in the West Bank, It's a pretty bleak picture. I mean, you know, it gets completely ignored by the international media. You have international complicity from donor nations. They want to keep things the same. They seem to be just happy, Jamal, because, as you said, there's no intifada right now. But in fact, day-to-day life, economically, in terms of movement, in terms of, you know, having, you know, all those things, those basic needs and rights that every human being should have are being negated for Palestinians. And the threat of their homes being destroyed, of their land being taken, of them being forcibly removed from their land, yet again, is a day-to-day living catastrophe for Palestinians, especially in Jerusalem. And Nothing can be done. It seems like the Palestinian Authority is offering the cover for the international community to continue the status quo, which is, you know, really bad right now. Which is really, that's what the international community is doing. They're just happy to write a check and keep the Palestinian issue, you know, buried and and, and make sure uh, that you don't have an unrest. That's how they describe it. They want to keep those natives in check, really. I mean, think think about it. You're just basically paying an enforcer 
to keep those right. natives in check. That's right. They cannot open. I mean, look, what options do Palestinians have? I mean, it's mind-boggling. If you attack Israelis, whether in self-defense, you are called a terrorist. Uh, if you defend your land, you are considered a terrorist. If you go to the International Criminal Court, they want to basically silence you and say what you are doing is bad. You know, you cannot go to the International Community Court. If you complain to the International Community at large, it, the same applies to this. That's right. So, so you have no option except to toe the line and, and just watch as Israeli colonial settlers usurp the land, steal home after home, and then you have the Palestinian Authority, which is basically in Ramallah, which has a security, security forces trained by the Canadians and by the Americans. That's right. And financed, by the way, by uh, the United States. That's the what Diana Bhutto says. When even when the United States stopped funding uh, the Palestinian Authority, the only part of the funding that did not stop writing a check for is for security. You know, right? And the security forces, which is okay, great. Every country needs security forces. They need but police. It's not, they need an army. But it's not but, security, Jamal. You and I know <laughs> what a joke that is. It's it is not security for it, the Palestinians. No, it's security for Israelis, for Israeli settlers, and security for American, you know, interests. And let's be clear: those Palestinian security forces, regardless of how ridiculously uh, incompetent they are at protecting Palestinian lives. They have no say in Jerusalem. Well, well, I, I have to say, correct you there, because I also feel sorry for the members of the security forces, because to them, True many that. of them are recruited, and, and it is a job. True and that. And they're not incompetent, actually. They are trained. But they are ordered. This is very important, and this is part and parcel of the agreement, Oslo, whether in writing, whether in, in fine print, that whenever Israelis, whenever, whenever an Israeli actually infiltrates into the Palestinian territory, if, whether it's a civilian, a settler, you have to notify Israel and send them back and right. give them protection. Right. When the Israeli army goes after Palestinians to attack and 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 arrest activists they withdraw into their barracks they That's withdraw right. into their police stations they leave the streets wide and open and empty for the israelis to go and conduct their house arrests That's right. and to conduct the raids and to execute palestinians how many times have you seen or have you heard about palestinians being extrajudicially killed in Ramallah, in Bethlehem, in Jericho. It happens all the time, Jamal. We, we know that. And we know the number of people who continue to be arrested by Israeli occupation forces, men, women, and children, uh, is staggeringly high. And they're, they're not afforded any kind of justice within the civilian system. They have the military system, which allows them to be held uh, without representation and detained without their charges ever being brought up against them for years at a time sometimes. And with the number of children that are detained at this time who are kept in solitary confinement or who are tortured, this is the blind eye that we're talking about, Jamal, that the international community continues to turn against Palestinian civilians. And I just want to add another thing there. You know, I 
When I think about what uh, Secretary of State Blinken and President Biden have done to give the Israelis cover, in some ways, the cover that they're offering them is even greater cover uh, than what the Trump administration. I know that sounds really bizarre, Jamal, because, you know, it's not it's not. But but actually, because the Biden administration is looked at as being more more acceptable to the international community. The cover that the Biden administration gives to the Israelis is more protective. So we see what's happening in Sheikh Jarrah. We see what's happening in Silwan right now. Everybody sees it that Palestinians are being ethnically cleansed and taken away from their homes and villages. And yet, what is the Biden administration doing? They're inviting Israeli officials to the White House. Uh, Secretary of State Blinken is, you know, celebrating the new government, which, you know, is headed right now by an avowed uh, racist who believes that there shouldn't be, quote, any Arabs in historic Palestine, Naftali Bennett. So the situation, you know, Jamal, we, you and I predicted this, is actually in some ways worse under the Biden administration for Palestinians because of the political cover they give them. And now we have Naftali Bennett. So is it any better under this administration without Netanyahu and the Biden administration? I'm not sure. Absolutely not. At least when uh, Trump spoke to our disliking about moving the embassy into from Tel Aviv into Jerusalem, about his support to Israel, that was straightforward talk. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, despite all the uh, theatrics about the deal of the century, Right. Uh, Biden came with a promise. He came with a promise to reverse, basically, the actions taken by Donald Trump. And one of those actions was the shutting down of the Palestinian, I mean, the American consulate exactly. in exactly. Jerusalem. Exactly. So you started talking about this, Jess. So the Israeli foreign ministry... Uh, has been lobbying the State Department just from day one to hold off on the reopening of uh, the consulate, the U.S. consulate in Jerusalem. And and they're saying this is they want to avoid creating difficulties for the new government. I mean, this is this is what I've been reading in the Israeli media. Unbelievable. And saying we, we, we want to give Naftali Bennett, like Naftali Bennett, a chance. Like, like we we've been hearing what, a chance, about. a chance to do what? <laughs> I don't know. This is so. So as you know, the consulate served uh, as the primary U.S. Which people, I don't want people confused. There is an embassy and there is a consulate. So the consulate is different than the embassy, and 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 in the past, the consulate served as the primary U.S. diplomatic mission to the Palestinians until 2019, when the Trump administration merged it into the new U.S. embassy right. uh, to Israel, which they moved from Tel Aviv into Jerusalem. And Biden, from day one, promised to reopen it. So that now they're saying, please don't do that. Don't meddle in Israeli affairs. Give the new government a chance. And now we're hearing about talks about the Biden administration she, uh, saying that they understand the situation and they won't press this issue for now and they would revisit it in the fall. If they do. Well, That's, this is devastating, Jamal. It's, it's, it's a devastating decision on multiple levels, politically. But let me just ask you a question. What about all the American citizens in the West Bank and Jerusalem 
who need to have consulate services, consular exactly, services. Exactly, exactly. What about and them? Exactly. Well, uh, as you know, American citizens, and people won't believe that, but American citizens who live in Ramallah, who live in the West Bank, and whose uh, family is originally from the West Bank, they cannot travel to Tel Aviv. They no, cannot they travel can't. into Jerusalem, so they, they cannot can't. go and meet with their ambassador or cannot go to use the consular affairs. So what this consulate in Jerusalem, it was convenient for the Palestinians who live in East Jerusalem to use it, be it Americans or others who are applying for visas and so forth. And then once a week, the American representatives from the consulate went and used the Canadian mission in Ramallah because they didn't have another office, to meet with American citizens. That's right. I know that because I've seen them in action. And so those who cannot could not enter into Jerusalem, you know, I mean, simple things like you have a birth of a son or a daughter and you want to obtain a birth certificate, you want to obtain right. a new passport, you want That's to right. vote, you want to do whatever. They had a representative. So Americans who live now in American, Palestinians, uh, U.S. citizens, who live in the West Bank have nothing now. They are kind of like in no man's land. Well, again, so this is a this is an example of the 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 United States and their foreign policy leaving American citizens in the dust, leaving American citizens behind, leaving American citizens who happen to be living in Palestine now, Jamal, with no ability to ac access their right, their citizen right to counselor services wherever they live anywhere in the world. So this is not something you're going to hear about in, in any uh, mainstream media, Jamal. But this, there's no other place on the planet that a U.S. citizen is being denied access in this kind of way that I'm aware of. I mean, where else are U.S. citizens not so having... So I have a question for you. Are you willing to give Biden... Uh, benefit of the doubt no. and see if they're going to open the consulate in September, no. as they've said. The, no. Do you think they're going to open it in September? No, I don't believe it. Uh, I'm not willing to give Biden the benefit of the doubt. I think Biden is playing a dangerous game. He's hitched his wagon to the Zionist train. He said himself, you don't have to be Jewish to be a Zionist. He's a proud Zionist himself. Anthony Blinken for all he of also his, he also says that he wants to put human rights at the front well, and center of his agenda. That's kind of my point, Jamal. So on the one hand, he's saying he's a committed Zionist, and out of the other uh, side of his mouth, on the other hand, he's saying the United States is not going to turn its back anywhere in the world on human rights, and they're going to confront Russia, they're going to confront North Korea, they're going to confront China. But in the midst of all this rhetoric that they're saying, they're letting their own citizens who happen to be Palestinian living in Palestine, as well as Palestinians, they're leaving them into uh, an abyss, if you will, a political abyss where every day Palestinians are threatened existentially with existence, their homes, their land, and their lives. So no, Jamal, I don't give uh, Biden the benefit of the doubt. I don't give Antony Blinken the benefit of the doubt. In some ways, I think it's more problematic than something you said earlier today, which is really important. At least with Trump, we knew where he was coming from. What he said is what he said. 
Biden and Blinken talk out of one side of their mouth and they're doing a dirty deal with um, not only the Israelis, but, you know, look at Naftali Bennett. That's all I'm going to say. Look at Naftali Bennett and his history. And if you're hitching your wagon to that and saying that you advocate for human rights everywhere in the world, you're in you're in you're in you're delusional and you're in denial. We're going to shift uh, gears here because we have a few minutes, uh, and I think this is something very important to talk about when I yeah. hear your opinion about it. The uh, Supreme Court today upheld yeah. voting restrictions in I Arizona was shocked. I was and shocked. signaled that challenges to new state laws making it harder to vote, you know, uh, and would, uh, uh, and harder to vote would face a hostile reception from a majority of the justices. The vote was 6-3, six six to three. Uh, with, I guess, the courts, what you'll consider, do you consider three liberal members? Yeah, basically, basically three more liberal voters. And now because of Trump being able to, you know, basically put three people on the Supreme Court, it's swung from 6-5, six, 5-6, five, five, six, which it has always been historically, or 5-5 five, five and a good, you know, chief justice, it's now clearly 6-3. And just so that our listeners and viewers know the, the full impact of this, there, as, as everybody knows, there's been a concerted effort in each of these states, in Florida, in Texas, in Georgia, and in Arizona to erode the, the Voting Act right, you know, the rights of the voter, you know, voting, voting rights act. And so Arizona, did all of these things. They passed state laws basically restricting voters' rights. You know, if you cast a ballot in the wrong precinct in Arizona, for example, Jamal, that ballot would be thrown out even though you're a citizen and that you couldn't make it to the same, you know, precinct or the same district. Your ballot would get thrown out. That was challenged in court. It was brought to the Supreme Court. And in a six to three decision, where the decision was written by Justice uh, Leto basically said, hey, this is states' rights. I mean, the basic uh, idea is— How will is, this uh, impact minority groups, Jess? It's going to make it harder for people who don't have money. It's going to make it harder for people who don't have transportation. It's going to make it harder for people who don't have IDs. It's going to make it harder for communities of color and socioeconomically disadvantaged community to vote on equal footing and status with everybody else, Jamal. So this is a slap in the face to voters' rights. It's going to make it much more difficult with these other challenges. I mean, the Justice Department, you know, is now going to be challenging some of the laws that were changed in uh, in Georgia. But with this Supreme Court decision, Jamal, it's it's going to make it much more complicated. So here we are in the 21st century when, and especially during COVID, when uh, uh, people transition to ordering everything online. You can right. order your passport. You could apply for your passport online, everything. Jess. Everything. You can order your food. You can, uh, you know, communicate with, uh, you know, you, you conduct, uh, you teach students online. Uh, there are, um, uh, I mean, uh, security uh, systems for uh, paying for purchases by credit everything. card, etc. Everything. But if you are, let's say, 90 years old and an elderly and on a wheelchair, you have to drag yourself in right, and Jamal. stand in line to vote, right? That's is right. That, is that what the conclusion is, is, is uh, all about? I mean, yeah, the, the conclusion is 
we're going to try to make it harder for people to vote. And then, again, let's go back to what we said earlier, Tate, Jamal. The United States wants to front itself and present itself as this beacon of democracy. So why are we making it more difficult for people to vote? Why are we putting more restrictions on people's ability to vote? Why are we making it more difficult for communities of color to be represented as citizens within this? This is an, not just an affront to democracy. It's, it's, it's actually beyond hypocritical. We want to tell other countries what to do in terms of democracy, yet we want to make it more difficult for people to vote. So my final statement about that, Jamal, which is an obvious one, which is why, why are these states so afraid to let people vote? Make it easy for people to vote. Jamal, it's easier to buy a gun in Texas than it is to register to vote. So I think that kind of says it all. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, hey, we're going to be taking a week off, so we won't be on the air next week, but we will be on the air the following week. Uh, we have uh, decided to just, we need a little break just, right? We do. We've been going nonstop for the pandemic, <laughs> and I think, you know, we want to take a break. We want to give you all a break. and then. But the nice thing is you can always go to our website and uh, watch old shows or listen to past interviews. That's right. That's all on ArabTalkRadio.com. And we will speak to you next week. We'll see you next week.